Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Exploring Education and this is actually the last episode in my personalized learning adventure. It's the last one, which is shocking. I don't know, can't handle it right now. But today I'm focusing on dynamic communication strategies and um, specifically I was working on adapting personalized learning strategies for a middle school classroom. So for context, for reminder, I'm a high school English teacher. Um, I'm in my sixth year teaching and I have always been in a high school setting uh, except my student teaching. So when I was in college, I did a year-long student teaching placement in a seventh grade classroom. And then um, my first job, I was hired in a high school and I've been there ever since. So I have some experience with middle school, but it's been a while. So to complete this, I enlisted the help of two middle school teachers who were interested in trying something new and reporting back to me. And their names were Ms. Weber and Ms. Whitlock. For context, Ms. Weber teaches face-to-face in the same county as me. In fact, her middle school is the feeder middle school from the high school where I work. Um, And she's a face-to-face teacher, but with the pandemic, you know, we always have students who are absent because they're sick or have been quarantined for close contact exposure. So she, you know, does have digital students that she needs to serve. And then as it turns out, during the time that I was coaching her to try these strategies, she had a pretty major family emergency and she was out of school for quite some time. So then she really was, she didn't end up being a digital teacher, even though her students were there in the building, she was the one who wasn't. So she did do a bit of digital teaching during this time. And on the other hand, Miss Whitlock, uh, she works in a neighboring county to mine. She is not um, in my county, but she does teach middle school. And she um, is actually the m- mother of a good friend of mine. And that's how I got in touch with her. And she primarily serves digital students. So for most, most of her kids are digital and she just has a few face-to-face. So they're kind of like the inverse of each other. To start off my collaboration, um, both women, you know, agreed to try out some new strategies. So I typed up a document that included kind of more big picture culture changes in the classroom and then some day-to-day more strategies and then a couple technology tools, which I recommend for increasing dynamic communication. And I specifically wrote these strategies with middle schoolers in mind and I tried to keep it non-specific to a curriculum, right? That it doesn't matter what it is you're working on, what skills you're teaching in your class right now, that these strategies could kind of fit in anywhere because it's just about the communication, not about the content they're learning. So I tried to keep it uh, vague and that document is linked so you can look over it. One thing I noticed is that these strategies did rely more heavily on technology than some of the other projects I've done for personalized learning. And I think a lot of that is because the, the, research and the literature about communication right now does focus a lot on the needs of digital learners in our current, you know, pandemic teaching environment. So I had a lot of technology-based strategies. Um, But also, you know, I think technology is important to dynamic communication anyway. I really love this quote from the BYOT network that you know, instead of thinking that kids being on their devices, usually phones on their phones in an educational context means that they're disengaged or non-communicative, we should see that students with technology are always communicating, that those devices are tools that we should leverage in our classrooms. 
So that was kind of the mindset I went out this with. And then we'll talk about the strategies that we suggested for middle school. So as I mentioned, some of the strategies were more of a culture shift. Um, And admittedly, that's difficult to attempt in spring semester when I was working with these teachers. You know, to um, establish a classroom culture is a long-term project. So um, those culture shifts included changing the student expectations and the norms for what's expected when they communicate online, that they should see emails and discussions more like real conversations. And then the other culture shift is to prioritize and value student voices more, right? So if they are initiating a communication with you, that you need to show the value in that. Um, And we'll talk about how a little bit later on. Those were the major culture shifts. Um, And when it comes to the changing the expectations for online communicating, I don't know about you, but something that happens to me a lot in high school teaching, and is a really big pet peeve of mine, is when a student emails me a question, and I respond to their email with the answer. And then the next day in class, usually they come up to me and they're like, did you get my email? And it's so frustrating. So I'm like, yes, I got it. I answered it already. But it's because they're not working professionals and they don't have the same expectations about email as we do as, you know, professionals who use email constantly. Our expectation is that you get an email and you answer it same day, ideally, maybe the next day The emails should be responded to. But because they don't have that expectation, they send it and then they send their question and then they don't expect an answer back. So they're not checking their email for my reply and they never see it. Um, Similarly, the traditional discussion board is another thing where the expectations can be shifted to make them a lot more valuable. Um, And so this was one of the culture shifts that I talked about with my teachers was that when the prompt is write a response to the question and then respond to at least two of your classmates and especially with a word count of how long those responses should be, that sets up a very like compliance-based assignment. It's just like they are only completing it to complete it, right? So discussion boards aren't discussions, if that's the expectation. They're just a writing assignment in, you know, with this like mask of a discussion on it, but they're not actually discussing anything. They're not talking to each other. So to make it an authentic actual replacement for discussion, like for talking to another person, um, you need to change the expectations about the purpose of the board, the frequency with which students should check the board, um, maybe even setting up notifications for the board, um, and the time, the response time expectation. All of that needs to shift for a discussion board to be what it's truly meant to be. So in my recommendation, I use the metaphor of texting because it makes sense to me. I think it would also make sense to the students in question here that when you send a text, you expect an answer, and you expect an answer rather quickly, and you expect the conversation to continue right? Like texting is usually like an ongoing conversation that may last throughout the whole day because, you know, you send a text and then you, for for me, I'm like, well, now I'm doing laundry, so I won't see your answer for an hour, but I'll respond once I see it and our conversation will last all day, right? That it's um, smaller 
messages back and forth, shorter responses, but the conversation overall should have more, should extend that because a traditional discussion post where you respond to one classmate and that's the end of a conversation is not realistic. But if you tell them that they should come back to it multiple times and have multiple back and forths with each other, now you're getting closer to a real conversation. So then when we're thinking about some of the more day-to-day strategies, something that doesn't require as big of a culture shift or, or such a big change in student expectations as to what they're used to, um, the first thing was soliciting student feedback frequently um, so that teachers should set up like an exit ticket weekly, maybe, maybe even daily if they're really committed, um, or it could be like a comment card kind of system if you wanted an analog version. But the important part of this is that students have a chance to initiate a conversation about their educational experience. That students have a place that's informal, that's low stakes, where they can reach out to their teacher um, when something is working for them or when something is not working for them. And the most important part of this kind of does relate to a culture shift. So um, that's that the students should see that their feedback is actually affecting their classroom environment and supports their growing agency that like teachers should publicly address relevant feedback that they get via this system. So the system can be implemented in a day. That's why I've listed it under kind of like the day-to-day easier strategies. But over time, what this will do is shift the classroom culture to show students that their their voices and their communications to their teacher are being heard and are being valued. Um, it's also important to think about dynamic communication between peers, um, which the discussion board thing can do. But like I said, that's a big change when they've been used to doing discussion boards a certain way for a while. So one that you could implement one day is a tool called Jamboard, uh, which I have used with my own students. Um, And that's why I suggested it to these teachers, because I found it to be successful. And it's something I knew I could coach them on and tell them how to use it. So Jamboard is a Google Suite tool, which allows teams to collaborate on a shared um, like slide. It almost looks like a PowerPoint slide, but it's not meant to be presented. It's meant for like planning and designing. So it's good in the early stages of a product or um, the way I use it in my classroom was that I had groups of students assigned different chapters of The Great Gatsby, and then they had to use images and text and stuff from the internet to put together like a mood board that would represent that chapter. So it would capture the tone of the chapter as well as any symbolism in the chapter. Um, so Jamboard's a tool that I really enjoyed using in my classroom, and I knew that um, I could coach these teachers on if they wanted to try to take that on. Um, other strategies in my reading, I found a lot of recommendations for making digital spaces more social, like a traditional classroom has a major social aspect that digital spaces don't. Um, Not only are digital students missing out on traditional instruction when they're not at school, but, you know, think about the couple minutes when they're in their seats before the bell rings and they're sitting and talking. Digital students don't get that. Or if they finish their work early and they can kind of sit and chat. They don't have the opportunity to, like, ask the kid next to them, wait, what are we supposed to do? Like in those cases where they either missed what the teacher was saying or they didn't understand. Um, But yeah, and they're just missing out on like a relaxed space with their peers. Um, And this 
idea was backed up by the Stanford's Teaching Commons. So the Stanford's Teaching Commons was like where all the teachers, especially in the spring of this past year in 2020, were sharing tools and strategies and ideas that worked well for them at Stanford University, um, and it's posted online. And so they recommended that teachers should provide an informal space within their course to foster that kind of social connection, that teachers should be the one making sure students get that rather than assuming they're getting the socialization, you know, via social media or whatever. And so um, I recommended that as a strategy for these teachers and a tool I recommend. It doesn't have to be this tool, but I did recommend using Padlet for this because, again, it's something that I've used. I know the troubleshooting. I know how to coach them on it and um, how to set it up. And I actually used it when schools closed in March for this exact purpose. So in March 2020, I created a Padlet for my students that I titled Human Connection. and I will include a screenshot of that Padlet, still kind of near and dear to my heart. It's cute. It's a little bit of a time capsule, honestly, looking back on it and seeing our initial reactions to the quarantine last year. Uh, finally, the last kind of big strategy that I recommended was about using audio and video for communication in place of writing. And um, particularly, I was reading about feedback happening via audio and video, but there are lots of ways that you can incorporate it. So what I read was um, a research study by ICE et al., and it was called Using Asynchronous Audio Feedback to Enhance Teaching Presence and Students' Sense of Community. So um, kind of the results, the findings of that study were that when teachers provide feedback on student work using like an audio recording of them talking about talking through the feedback rather than typing comments were perceived by their students to be more caring and more involved. And then they also studied when class discussion boards use audio and video responses to each other rather than typing their answers. They found that the students could demonstrate a deeper understanding of the material and that there was a lot more room for nuance in their understanding of each other. It's a really obvious tool for this um, that you might be thinking of is Flipgrid. Flipgrid could easily be that video discussion board. Um, I'm lucky enough that the learning management system that my county uses um, on the discussion boards, the option to do an audio or video feedback is built in. And the same thing in the grading uh, panel, like when you open the grading screen, it's built in, like where the comment boxes that you normally type your comment, there's a button right underneath it to record audio and video. So that makes it really easy for us, but there are other ways to do it and Flipgrid would be a really great way to, um, to facilitate that. So while those first two strategies about like the classroom culture of what online communication should look like as a whole and the culture of valuing student voices takes a long time to develop, these other strategies were more of like the day-to-day you could try them out without as much um, changing students' expectations. So those were the strategies on that document that I shared with Ms. Whitlock and Ms. Weber. I gave each of them a couple days to read through it, start trying to plan for it, think about where it could fit into their classroom, and then I reached out to offer support. So after those first couple days, then as the coach, I was trying to, you know, make sure I was communicating as well. So um, I reached out to see if they needed support. And Ms. Weber did actually request that we have a Teams call. So I scheduled a meeting with her one-on-one and 
she basically asked me questions. I clarified a few points. Um, and then for like 20 more minutes after that, we just kind of nerded out about curriculum and pedagogy. So she was really fun to talk to. Um, that was the first time I had ever talked to her face to face. And that was really nice. But anyway, um, in my conversation with Miss Whitlock, so she's the teacher from another county, a challenge that I wasn't expecting is that in the county where Miss Whitlock works, she's not allowed to use discussion boards or like generally any kind of non-monitored student to student communication. So she also mentioned she's not allowed to use breakout rooms inside of a Teams or Zoom meeting. She can't kind of allow students to work with each other in any way that's not monitored. So that was a big challenge and kind of knocked out quite a few of my strategies um, right away. But what it meant is that she was focusing on this teacher to student strategies. And so she still had a lot to share with me. Um, and she did find success with that. So that was a challenge that I wasn't expecting. And then at the end of the semester, so after, you know, I presented these at the end of March and we had until the end of April. So each of these teachers had about a month to work with the strategies that I suggested. And I'm going to talk more about that at the end, but I did follow up at the end of their time working on this with both women. And so Ms. Weber was at a point where she could only really communicate with me via email. Like I said, she's been dealing with some family emergencies. So she emailed me her feedback. And Ms. Whitlock, I was able to meet with face-to-face. -face, and with each of them, we kind of just talked about how the strategies worked. And I asked a few questions about how I could improve. So Ms. Whitlock's students, she told me, are really, really hesitant to do any activities that would like record their voice for the class to hear um, that basically in the past and still now where she was trying out my strategies, anything where students had to like record themselves or film themselves, they just won't engage. They don't want to do it. She said that that's something about middle schoolers that is that you'll see these kind of quirks and social anxieties that manifest in ways like that. Um, so she didn't really get any engagement with those, but she did tell me that it wasn't the audio and video because it was when it was a one-on-one -on -one setting, like she provided feedback to her students via audio or they talked to her via audio or video, they were engaged and it was successful. Um, so it's something about being in front of their peers that they don't want to do. <laughs> um, Ms. Weber also specifically talked about the audio feedback. Um, and she really liked that strategy, especially as I mentioned earlier in her absence from school, she, she said this in her email, quote, in this unit, my students were writing a creative narrative, something sci-fi or dystopian. Instead of a written assignment, I asked them to submit videos where they would talk about either their main character or the setting of the story that they were planning to write. I watched their submissions, even though I wasn't in school, and gave comments about what I liked and made suggestions. It was a great way to keep in touch and for me to give feedback, given the circumstances. They were much happier to give a spoken summary than another written assignment, end quote. So I think that, you know, as the research showed, that feeling of connection, that sense of community, Ms. Weber clearly felt that, um, you know, given her absence from her students. So finally, I asked both women if there was something that I should change to make these, make this more middle school appropriate. Was there something I did that was an impediment to their success? Um, and both of them said that they found the strategies to be appropriate for their students' age and um, technology level, but that their stumbling blocks were due to 
you know, just us being at this point in the school year, it's hard to change the way you do things, which I totally understand. So this is what I said I was going to talk about more. If I had known earlier the nature of the strategies that I would want to write for this, I would have used dynamic communication as my very first project for this semester. Granted, it's still spring semester, but it's easier to kind of change things up when you come back from winter break than it is to kind of change things up at the end of March, beginning of April. So I totally understand that. That's something that, you know, I didn't know until I was already writing the strategies that it was going to end up being a challenge for all of us. Um, and if I'd started it earlier, it would have given, you know, me and the students or the, sorry, the teachers that I was coaching and their students more time to adjust to these changes, um, more time for them to be able to try to start shifting the culture in their classroom. But regardless of that, I'm really happy with the strategies that they tried and that they, you know, they had really good things to say about that, which makes me happy and feel good about it. Um, with my experience with the middle school setting, um, that I wasn't way off base and trying to write stuff that would never work for middle school. That was good for me to hear. Um, and the best thing is that Ms. Weber said that she wants to start off next school year using some of these strategies. So in her feedback, she was like, you know, this was a challenge trying to do it at the end of the year, but let's start it again in the fall. So I'm looking forward to continuing to work with her.